All right, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you where we're going so you can start turning, because we're going to Habakkuk this week. So I'm going to give you a head start on finding where we're going. Most of you are probably on phones, and you're like, Habakkuk, done. It's right near the end of the Old Testament, like four or five books before the end of the Old Testament. So if that, if that helps you, you can kind of turn there. And we're going to actually go through the whole book today. I thought about splitting this up into two weeks, but I'm not going to be here next week to preach. So you get one week of Habakkuk. I thought about doing it last week, but then God was like, no, I want you to preach on this instead. So, um, and I'll be honest, like, it's really, I, this is just confession time for me. We all are going to be my therapy group. It's really hard to pick sermon topics. It's a big deal to be like, God, you've given me this, this place to speak truth. And it's hard to pick. Like, would, I, I love that we preach through long books of the Bible because then I don't have as much decision making. It's just like, you're going to teach the next set of verses. But when I get a week like this, where it's like, you can teach on whatever you think God would have you teach this week. I get nervous trying to decide because I'm like, man, this is a big responsibility to kind of say, this is something that I want to talk about with you guys. And so um, I was just kind of looking through the Bible and I landed in Habakkuk and I think it's, it's going to be good. Um, parts of the reason, like, and parts of the reasons it's hard for me to pick single topics is because it's like, I need to have a complete thought. I need to make sure that you go home with something that, that you, you, you understand about who God is or, or about the way we're supposed to live under God's authority or whatever that may be. And, and I want it to be something that, that means something to you. Like, like I don't want, like if I'm going to teach dietary laws, I'm probably going to need a whole lot more time to teach why all the dietary laws are in that sort of thing. I can't just be like, pork's okay, you know, and then like, so... I think what God has given me this week is a really complete thought and one that I think is actually helpful for the time that we are currently um, living in. Um, I'm going to end up talking a little bit about politics today, but I'm not really one who's like a good authority on politics because like I've been out of the keeping up with all of the goings on of every little political thing for a long time now. I've been much happier since I stopped being really super heavily involved in it. But for, I mean, for sure for the last four or five years, probably a lot longer than that, I've been like, like out of the game. And like, I'm like, I'll just listen to sports talk radio instead when I'm driving. That's, that's, that's much less connected to politics. And that's just not true anymore. Like, like every single place you go, you are, ta- you are hearing people give their strong opinions about the way the world works and a w- the way that that our government is interacting with the way with the world and, and, and all of this. Like, like we all have, and it's amazing how strong opinions get in, especially when you just talk about, we should talk about baseball. We're going to talk about baseball. It's baseball season. Oh, but we can't talk about baseball because uh, the president or this senator or this person has some opinion and the way we've changed baseball is affected by, the, it creeps into everything. I work on a college campus think I get away from politics there? No, I don't. Every, everywhere we go, um, our world is, is, is offering strong opinions about the way that we as a people are governed and the way that the government that we live in interacts with the other governments around the world. And it affects all of our conversations. And, and, and I would venture to guess that for most people, those conversations are not like super cheery and super positive and super uplifting and make you feel like 
valued and, and loved and heard and things like this when you, when you are involved in those. So uh, I'm going to break one of the rules and I'm going to preach on something that includes like pol- political stuff, especially, and I, again, especially since I'm not, not super in the game. I'm not going to talk specifics. I'm not talking policy, but I'm talking about what's really at, at stake and what's really behind the scenes as we, as we experience whatever the political climate is that we are living in at any point in our lives. So if you will turn to Habakkuk, um, last week we talked a whole lot about dreaming big dreams and praying, praying confidently and going to God confidently. And the whole book of Habakkuk is actually just a prayerful conversation between one prophet and God them going back and forth and essentially having a conversation. And what you're going to see is Habakkuk is praying confidently. And he's praying big things. Um, But what we're also going to see is that maybe some of the ways that he's asking God to work or some of the things that he's coming to God with, some of his concerns, don't line up with God's heart, the will of God. And so he's going to have this kind of back and forth with God where he is not pleased with the way that God is working. He is not pleased with the way that things are. And we're going to kind of see how God affects him and how his prayers and his conversation with God um, change him over the course of time. So, like I said, we're going to do this whole book today. So if you are in Habakkuk, turn to Habakkuk chapter 1. And let's start to see, and maybe at some point throughout this, you will find a sentiment that you have experienced recently or maybe that you are personally feeling at times when it comes to the way the world is working around you. Because like many today, um, Habakkuk was not happy with the way the government was at work around him, uh, when, and he decided to go to God about it. So Habakkuk chapter 1, I'm just going to start right at the very beginning. It says, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you, will not be, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. All right. So you may have heard this about any number of topics in the last few years. I mean, last week probably you heard something about this. I know um, a lot of our conversation, this is, I haven't, has not been as prevalent recently, but especially with like people trying to cross into our country and then being detained and people are like, this is injustice, this is horrible, these people are being separated. And this cry is for injustice to be dealt with. And like, why isn't this being taken care of? Why are these people suffering in this way? It doesn't have to be specific to people trying to cross into our country. It could be any sort of area where it's like, look at the way people are being treated in this country. Or look at the way people are being treated in this area of our city. I mean, practical example. This is going to be recorded. I'm probably going to get in trouble. Uh, what? I'm going to say it. There's a park across the street from us that it has been over a year since it got started being worked on, and it is still not done. There are reasons, but this area in which we live has not had a good park for the kids to come play in, a place for us to go take our kids after church and play and get to know families for the last 
year and a half, and it's been left un incomplete. And that's an injustice, that, that, that there are other parks that have been completed and finished, and new projects that have been started, and that park is still sitting there left undone, left incomplete. So it's not just big political things. It can be something as small as the neighborhood in which you live being treated with injustice. And you can feel that. And Habakkuk feels that, right? What is he saying? He's saying, man, there are a whole lot of wicked people out there, and they're doing a whole lot of wicked things to people that are a whole lot less wicked than them. Bad things are happening to good people. I mean, we've heard that phrase before, right? Um, all this evil is taking place. No one is there to stop it. God, why? If you are so powerful, why is all of this stuff happening? God, if you are so powerful, why is there evil present all around us? Why are we seeing these things kind of happen all around us? This is his complaint. And this is probably something that you have felt at some point in your life or another. Maybe it was your sibling got a snack and you didn't. And you were really not happy with that, and that was a horrible injustice. I'm not saying we always are right when we feel injustices, but sometimes there is evil taking place around us that really is evil, really is present, and we feel powerless to stop it. And at this point in his life, Habakkuk is looking at, at the, the, the landscape of all around him, and he's seeing all of this evil, all of this stuff that's taking place, all of these, all of these wicked people, wicked governments, wicked whatever that are, are just kind of running free around the world. And he's saying, God, you're not stopping any of this. Evil, violence, whatever it may be, none of it is taking place in a way that shows me you want to stop it. Come on, what gives? That really, that's really seems to be where, where his prayer is. And he shares his feelings in a really honest way. He's like... I'm not good with this. I don't like what I'm seeing. What are you going to do about it, God? Um, and so I think it's worth noting, and we're going to see where his heart and God's heart are different as we move on. But, but his frustration led him to prayer. And I think that's a good place for us to start. When we're frustrated with what's going on around us, the first place that we should go shouldn't just be, I'm going to go grab my megaphone and yell about how mean God is and that he's letting all of this stuff take place. No, no. He says, I'm going to go to God directly. So this isn't a questioning of God's authority. He's saying, I don't like the way you're handling things right now. I see all of this. What are you going to do about it? But he goes directly to God. So the first thing that we should realize is that when we're frustrated by something we see, we should go directly to God. Because God's really good at responding. So read on with me. Chapter 1, picking up in verse 5. Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. So God says first, he's like, Look, hold on, I'm actually at work here. It's not that injustice is going unchecked. I'm actually doing something with this. He goes on, For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. 
Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. They pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. I don't know that that's the response Habakkuk was looking for, right? He says, God, there's so much injustice in the world. Why aren't you doing anything? And what, what is God's response? He says, oh, I'm working really hard. In fact, to, to, to overcome the evil people that are around you right now, I'm raising up a really wicked nation who are just going to come through and wipe everybody out. That's what I'm doing. Right? So, so God's response is, yeah, I'm at work. Don't think I am not at work. Also, don't think that the presence of evil disproves that God is around. Um, that, is, that is an important point for us to make. He's like, yes, there is evil. And yes, I'm raising up another nation that is evil to overcome that evil. To punish the evil that's present within the nation that I made. I'm raising, and when he says Chaldeans, just to help you guys understand, he's talking about the Babylonians, same people, different name. Um, He's saying, I'm raising up this country that I'm going to use to come in and kind of sweep away all this evil and punish the people that I had raised up. Um, At this point in in Israel's history, Habakkuk is living in Judah, and, and the northern kingdom of Israel has already been taken away by the Assyrians. They've already been taken into captivity. They're already being punished for their sin and their rejection of God and all of this. And what God is saying is, yeah, y'all are still pretty wicked down there in Judah as well. And I'm raising up a nation that's going to come overthrow the Assyrians, and then he's going to come take you as well. And you're all going to get taken into captivity. You're all going to be punished for the sin that's present in your nation. So let's think about how this this conversation has gone so far. Habakkuk's like, there's lots of evil going on around. And God says, I know, I'm at work in this evil. In fact, I'm raising up a wicked nation that's going to come and carry you all off into captivity. If that was you, if you're saying, there's injustice, there's evil, God, what are you going to do? He's like, I've got something else that's evil that I'm using to kind of squash the current evil. What would you be thinking? What would your response be? Like, wait, that, that's not what I'm saying. That's not the point. That's not the way that I wanted you to, like, like I wanted you to get rid of evil. And I think it's worth noting, and I said it already, the presence of evil does not disprove God's existence. The presence of evil is a part of God being at work within his creation. Because again, all of this is his. And if all of this is his, he works in it however he wants to. He he accomplishes his will however it is that he would desire. And if he's going to use evil, the presence of evil, the presence of wicked nations and rulers and all that, he's more than welcome to because we're his creation and he is at work in it. To bring about, ultimately, whatever his, his ultimate goal is, which we know happens to be salvation for the people that he's calling to himself and the building up of the church and the taking of the gospel to all the nations. But at this point, in this one little snapshot, Habakkuk's looking around saying, things are real bad, and God's saying, I know. I know. I'm at work. I'm doing something. Just because things are bad does not mean I have abandoned you. Just because things are evil, just because you are surrounded by evil things, wicked people right now, does not mean that I'm not at work, does not mean that I'm not using that situation to accomplish something great. Because it's his creation and he's at work within it. 
Okay, so let's go ahead and see. So, so think about how you would respond if that was your prayer and this was God's answer. And now we're going to see what, what Habakkuk says back to him. Picking up in chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 12. He says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning and and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Okay, I just want to take that last verse. I just love what he says. He got done responding to what God said and he says, "All right, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to wait." What you got to say about this? Like, I just love the way he says that. I'm going to go sit on my watchtower and wait to hear what God has to say to me. Um, that's, that's a level of confidence that I don't know that I would have to, to speak that way. All right, God, I'm ready. Come on, what you got? Um, so what, what his response is, he's saying, God, you created all of this. You are powerful. You are sovereign over all of your creation. You created everybody. You spread us out all over the world. And, and now, what are you just doing? Are you just playing with us? Are you just creating us and making us a big group of people just so you can kind of fish us out and, make a, and play, play with us like we're little toys? Are we just like little pawns in a game that you're playing? I don't feel comfortable with you using uh, one wicked nation to, to punish other wicked nations. I don't, I don't love the idea that there is still going to be evil present. I, wish that, I, I see that you're able to accomplish all of these amazing things, and yet... Here I am sitting and seeing you just continue to... You're basically saying, I'm doubling down on using evil people to accomplish my will. And I don't know that I'm okay with that. So, so tell me how you, God, who are sovereign, who are powerful, who are able to accomplish all of these amazing things, create all of this amazing creation, are comfortable with letting your people who you brought together suffer in this way and be surrounded by all this evil in this way. I'll wait. That's essentially what he says. That is what he is saying to God. I'll wait. I wait to hear what you have to say. Um, let's just go ahead and read what God says back to him. And the Lord answered me. That's got to be a scary, like, sorry. It's just like, I'll wait. He's like, okay, you want to hear it? I'll say it. And the Lord answered me. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects his own as his own all peoples. We'll stop right there. Because what's going to happen after that? He's, God's kind of setting up, and I'm not going to read this whole section, but right after that, basically God's going to say, don't worry about this evil nation that I'm using. They're going to get their judgment in the end. 
He's saying, I have a master plan. He's saying, yeah, these guys are puffed up. These guys are arrogant. And these guys are going to do things. But I made a promise that you were going to be my people and I was going to be your God. And I'm going to make a nation out of you. Don't worry about that promise. That promise still stands. What does he say in verse 4? The righteous shall live by his faith. If you, he's saying, the righteous people, my people, I'm still going to save. And these wicked, evil nations that I'm using to accomplish my will right now, those are going to go away. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to punish them too for the things, for the sins, and for the evil that they are committing. So don't think it's that God isn't, isn't satisfied, is, is, is happy about the presence of injustice. Don't think, it's that, don't think it's that I don't care that they're evil. I know that they're evil. This is what God's saying. I know they're evil. Let me describe to you. And if you go and read the rest of that chapter, he's going to say, here are all the things that you have done that are wicked, he says to Babylon. He says to the Chaldeans. He says, these are all of the things that you have done that I'm not cool with. And I'm going to punish you for it. But that doesn't mean that in the meantime, I am at work while you have this temporary moment of power. While you're getting to run roughshod all over the world and spread all of this evil and all of this, this, this pagan worship and whatever it is that you're doing, while all of this is present, don't think that doesn't mean I'm out of control. Don't think, don't think that means that, that I am not allowing this to happen for a certain reason. This is what God is trying to tell Habakkuk. He's saying, don't worry, I will bring about justice. He's basically saying, trust me. Like, I've got a long-term plan here. I'm working on it. Don't, don't look at your, at your present situation and say, look, God's obviously lost control here. Things are real bad. So obviously, either he's not real or I don't need to trust him anymore because everything is just awful all around me. What God's saying is, this is a, this is a long game that I'm playing here. And this is a thing that I think Israel certainly missed all throughout the Old Testament. They kept failing to see the long game. They kept saying, man, things are so bad right now, we should just go back to Egypt. It was way better when we were in slavery in Egypt because now we're wandering in the desert. And God's saying, just trust me, be patient. I've got a plan here. You know, when, when they said, when, when God said to, to Eve, you know, I'm going to fix this. She's thinking, I'm going to fix this through the next son that I have. She's like, oh man, I had a son. Now God's going to fix everything. And no, God was talking, I'm sending my son thousands of years later. He was playing a longer game than we tend. We tend to look at our present surroundings, the things that are happening just during our lifetime. We think, oh, this is the worst possible thing that could happen. And what God's saying is, this is just a moment. I'm still in control, but it's a moment that's moving us from point A to point B. Point A being sin enters the world, death and destruction come with it. And point B is my son comes and dies and makes a way for all of us to be reconciled back to him. Like, like this is a longer term deal than just the moment of despair and the moment of evil and wickedness that we might be feeling we're surrounded by right now. And what he's saying to Habakkuk is, I'm going to do this. Write it down. Write this down. I'm going to fix it. Just not yet. 
I'm going to fix it. And those who are my people, the righteous, will live by their faith. Like, they're going to get it. They're going to see this fulfilled. It might not be right now. It might not be right in this minute. It might not even be during their lifetime. But ultimately, I'm going to bring about salvation. Ultimately, I am going to punish evil. Ultimately, wickedness and evil and all of this will be wiped away and taken off earth. And you will be given this brand new Brand new life, brand new body, brand new world, brand new place. I'm going to fix all these things. Just please be patient with me is basically what God is saying to them. Go ahead and turn over to chapter 3. I'm just going to read the end here. because Then we get Habakkuk's response where he starts saying, okay, obviously you're bigger than I realize. Obviously you're at work and you're telling me that you're doing these things. And I just love the way he changes by the end of this. So turn to Habakkuk uh, 3, verse 16. And and ask yourself as I'm reading this, is this your response when God comes back and answers your prayer? Is this the way you tend to feel? He says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's, And he makes me tread on my high places. So as Habakkuk comes to the end of this dialogue with God, as he's gone back and forth, and think about where it started. God, there's so much bad stuff. Don't you care? And he says, yeah, in fact, I'm going to deal with this bad stuff by bringing in some more bad stuff. Then he says, God, I don't like the way you're dealing with this. I don't like the way you're answering my prayer. And God says, don't worry, I'm going to take care of it in the long run. You just got to be patient. And then Habakkuk, through prayer, through this conversation with God, and this is a struggle. And I think think at no point did he seem to disrespect God or say, God, you're not not powerful and you're not good. At, at, At every point he was saying, God, I know you're powerful. I know you're sovereign. I just don't get it. I don't understand why you're doing it this way. And he's asking these kinds of questions, and as he slowly goes forward praying these things with God, having this conversation with God, we get to this point now where his heart's like, oh, I get it now. You're in charge, and you're going to do something, even if I don't fully understand everything in this moment. And I think it's cool to realize that, that God has changed Habakkuk's heart through prayer. That, that, that where he was struggling, where he was frustrated, where he didn't understand what was going on, he continued to pray, and over time, God changed his heart to where he's in a completely different place, all in the span of only three chapters. Who knows how long this conversation was for him. It might have just been one night. It could have been weeks, months, years. Who knows? But I'm sure there have been times where you have not understood why God was doing the things he was the way that he is talked about politics at the very beginning. And like I said, I hear a whole lot of conversation about how much we don't like, and by we, I'm, that's, a, that's the hypothetical we, but we don't like 
the government that is in charge of us right now. We don't like the leaders that are in charge right now. Or we don't like whoever it is that is our authority figure in whatever office that we report to at our jobs. Or whatever it may be. It's so easy to say, look at all this evil that is present around me. Or look at the way that, that these people who are running our country are running our country. Or look at the way they're interacting with the people who run that country. Or I don't want to get too specific. There are, everybody has a different area where they're looking around and seeing injustice. And what I want to suggest is that God would say, don't complain about the way I'm working out my plan. I'm not saying you shouldn't be involved in, 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 in affecting change. If they don't fix that park soon, we're going to have a, a CRC torch and pitchfork meeting. We're going to run down. I don't know if we'll do that. But, but I will at least write a strongly worded letter. I'm not saying we can't seek to affect change where we see evil. Habakkuk desired to do that. I mean, he was saying, I'm powerless to overcome this. And in some ways, we are. There are some people... Some things that are in authority over us that we don't get control over. And to that, God says, check your heart in this and ask, whose authority is it that you fear more? This kind of temporary evil that's over you right now or the ultimate authority who created everything in God? Because, because I hear this temptation and I hear it within the church like, I, I really don't like Twitter anymore. Like, I just don't. Amen. It's my first amen of the day. I don't like Twitter. Yeah. Because, because the church has bought into this grumble, 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 God's not doing things the way we want him to do kind of mentality. And it's not, and it's not this reminder, oh, God, can you, God used wicked governments a thousand years ago to accomplish his will, and we can so easily forget that he could still do that now. I'm not saying there aren't evil people in our government. I mean, I would say anybody who's in our government is evil people because we're all evil people. Some of us just have new hearts. But the presence of evil people does not mean that God is not using them for some sort of purpose, and that does not mean that we should, we should hold back on worshiping God for working in our lives the way that he is, even if we don't necessarily love everything that's going on around us. Even if we don't love that that park's not finished. Even if we don't love some policy decision that, that local government made or that state government or our, national, our federal government made. Whatever that is. Even if there are things that we don't like, that should not hinder our worship. That should not minimize our view of who God is. Um, I don't know what particular evil, what particular injustice you see going on in your life that you hate. And I'm not saying you shouldn't hate that it is there. But don't let that distract you from the fact that God is doing something with it. Now, it may be that he's getting you all riled up about it because he's getting you ready to go do something about it. It could be that he's getting ready to call you to go out and speak out against a particular thing. But the thing that I want us to realize is, yes, we are surrounded by evil. But all that evil is only going as far as God wants it to. 
And it's only and the things that it's accomplishing, it's accomplishing because God is trying to do something through it. And I think that is a mentality that we as the church need to, to hold firmly on to and be able to speak as an encouraging word to those who are around us. Because everywhere we go, there is so much division. There is so much frustration. There's so much hatred for other people. And if we can't say, you know what, I'll, I might not love the way that is, but I can love you. And I have a God who I believe is doing something because he loves us and he loves his creation. And he's doing something with it. That is an encouraging word that we can offer to people. And that is a place that we can maybe, maybe redeem a little bit of the way that conversations take place around us. Because everybody's saying all kinds of mean things and nasty things. And getting frustrated about all sorts of things. But, but God is at work and God is going to accomplish something great. Because he's playing a much longer game than what we're seeing in our current environment, our current surroundings, the current presence of evil that's going on around us. So, so as, as I pray in just a second, be asking yourself, where have I lost sight of the fact that God is at work even though I get super frustrated about certain things? Have, pray that God would open your eyes to see, oh man, I've just been complaining about this and I've not been going to God in prayer. Maybe, maybe, maybe you know, we talked about praying big things, maybe realizing that, that God can change your heart through prayer, maybe instead of complaining about something or being frustrated about something, you find yourself being more resolved to, I'm just going to go to the source and I'm going to talk to him about it. I'm going to ask him to change my heart where it needs to be changed and and ask him to to help me, uh, I guess, see things through his eyes a little bit more, understand more what it is that he is trying to accomplish. Um, what's the big picture? What's the long-term goal here? So that I don't come, become bogged down and, and, and lock up just because I see all kinds of bad things happening around me and think, I have to see all of this fixed right now or it's not worth it. Perhaps God's trying to teach us just to not be in control as much and trust that he can take care of things on his own as well. Let's pray.